sa la verità ma o ma o c'è chi riesce a sopportar ma o ma o sono tutti in guerra e non si sa che cosa mai succederà ma o ma o del mondo cosa ne sarà ma o ma o se tu lo sai dicelo un po' ma o ma o hello Merry Christmas. Except other holidays, presumably, too. It's it's Hanukkah as we're recording it, but I don't know if it'll be Hanukkah by the time this is out. Unless Dante works his podcast editing magic, but happy various holidays. I mean, Hanukkah's like eight days, and this year Hanukkah and Christmas overlap. They don't always, but Hanukkah is always either at the beginning of December or the end of December. Say what you will about Christmas, but it's got a date. You don't have to, like, do the math. What about Easter I swear to God, there's no rhyme or reason to when Easter is. Easter is just when Passover is. It's the Sunday after Passover. Is that like a rule? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's dumb. I think they should have figured out which Sunday it was in like 33 AD or whatever the fuck and just roll with that. That would have had a lot more of confidence. You got to respect Christmas for the fact that there is no like actual reason to celebrate Christmas. There's no like biblical thing that says like, oh, Jesus was born in the winter even. Well, I think it's... It's nice to have, like, one thing before the end of the year. You gotta convince people to believe in your religion for something. And if you have, like, a fun end-of-year thing, this seems pretty compelling as far as I'm concerned. The winter is terrible, and... This has been comparative religion with two or three things. Our new spin-off series, two or three things I know about whatever religion we're talking about. But yeah, we're talking about Christmas, and I had the idea, or I don't know if it was mine or Dante at this point. No, this was definitely a you thing. So there's so much, you know, Christmas movie discourse out there. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Is It's a Wonderful Life Socialist? Etc. Etc. I thought you were gonna say, is It's a Wonderful Life a Christmas movie? It is, yeah, I think it is. Going off on a limb here. I feel like there have never really been adequate answers to these questions because people just say them in really like annoying and smug ways and then they kind of move on and the adults in the room groan at someone being like oh we should watch die hard tell them to watch eyes wide shut as critics and we are you know critics uh, if nothing else i think our goal should be to resolve these discursive quandaries that are everywhere in the holiday season so you can shoot down your annoying fucking nephew or whatever the hell who's talking about how cool die hard is your nephew and or uncle, presumably. I don't know what the age range of our, our listenership is, but probably one of those two. If people want to be epic, you can get back at them. So we're... Grow up and just watch Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Yeah, yeah, or like just fucking watch Danny and Alexander for crying out loud. But people won't do that because they're cowards. But yeah, we're talking about, I don't know if it's the original Christmas movie discourse, but I think it's an interesting question, actually. Unlike a lot of the other ones, like is Die Hard a Christmas movie or whatever the fuck. It is, is Home Alone Straw Dogs for Children? And this is notable because the set designer for the first Home Alone film, whose name is escaping me right now, said that he thought the movie was Straw Dogs for Children. Oh, I didn't realize that, like, there was a coherent... And, like, 
like it's a kind of meme discoursey joke to be like, oh, Home Alone and Straw Dogs are just like the same movie. When you think about it, I guess whenever a home invasion movie is made, people will joke about it in Home Alone. Like there are lots of jokes about like funny games in Home Alone for kind of similar reasons. Shockingly, despite the fact that we to go behind the curtain for a moment are actually going to record a Hanukkah thing. Hanukkah, Michael Hanukkah, not Hanukkah. That's our Hanukkah episode. We're talking about Hanukkah. We are going to do that also. We didn't watch Funny Games because I've seen it like a bunch of times. And I didn't want to watch it again. And we already do enough for you people, to be quite frank. So it's it's common to be like, oh, you know, Kevin, he's kind of like Dustin Hoffman in, in Straw Dogs. The beloved Straw Dog from Straw Dogs himself. Straw Dogs, I'm going to just say, is a Christmas movie. It's about the centrality of family. So that's something. It's about defending your house and about how cool it is to defend your house like that. You know, there's no like added layers to that. It's just about how it's good and cool. Nothing else is going on in the movie. I have the movie taste of like an evil, evil person between Von Trier, Straw Dogs. Fassbinder is kind of an evil person. I think it's an interesting film. I, should I think we're both kind of like edgelords at heart, which is why we like Straw Dogs. <laughs> There have been rumblings of us doing a fun trio episode at some point. I'll have to watch more of his stuff before we do that, though, because I've seen, like, two of his movies. But yeah, like, Straw Dogs is a really strange film. It occupies a really, like, interesting era of American film, specifically because it came out in such a golden year for, like, disputes about the nature of violence on film. It comes out the same year that Dirty Harry and A Clockwork Orange, and the and comes out a year after the popular revenge thriller Joe. I don't know if you're familiar with Joe. Dante with Peter Boyle. Oh no. It was the screen debut of Susan Sarandon also, as a matter of fact. Joe. And it's like very right wing. <laughs> so there's all of these kind of revenge cycle movies in the early 1970s that are all kind of vaguely post-Westerns. I mean, Peck and Pop before this literally just directed a bunch of Westerns. So a lot of these movies, like Dirty Harry or whatever, are really kind of mining that same sort of revenge, Western-y, decline of the West sort of attitude, but they're kind of transposing it to the contemporary 1970s. Now the Clint Eastwood guy, he's a cop on the edge in, in the big, in San Francisco. Or Dustin Hoffman is now a math professor who moves to England. Dustin Hoffman is a math professor who moves to England to escape the sort of senseless violence of America. The characters ask him, like, oh, have you seen anyone get stabbed? And he replies, only on TV. The whole movie is kind of haunted by that sort of late 60s, early 70s, sort of new left political violence. Sorry, continue what you were saying. He moves to the UK to escape violence, but his home gets invaded by a band of thugs and he does violent shit. That's like a really simple song. That kind of skips over, like, the first half of the movie, basically. Okay, well... I understand there's a tactical reason you are skipping over the first half, or, like, up to the middle. I feel like this is an episode that is, like, worth a little, like, for lack of a better term, like a content warning or whatever. I know it's like a Christmas episode. We are going to have to talk about sexual assault in this episode, so let's put our cards on the table on, on that. If you know anything about straw dogs, then you probably know about 
the discourse around the misogyny in particular and typically like the violence but there's an added layer it's not just like people getting shot there's a very specific type of violence in the film there's a very specific scene that is quite controversial it's really hard to watch and i don't know watching thinking about that experience with that scene i don't know how much of that i think is good filmmaking it's sort of notable in one respect and i think the rest of the film other than the violence and the sexual violence in the film is all very non-stylized and then the depictions of sexual violence and just normal violence are have all these like slow-mo-ish bits to them which is really jarring as a viewer i don't think that's like necessarily a bad thing but i think it's an interesting quality the film has the rest of the movie is very matter of fact in its presentation and then these sequences are very in your face. So basically, the Dustin Hoffman character, he's a mathematician who's kind of insecure in his masculinity, I think it's fair to say. And he doesn't just move anywhere in England, he moves to like pastoral English countryside, which is kind of the antithesis of the city. He was in, I don't know if the movie implies where he was before, he's got those old folky country values here. And there's all these men who adhere to old folky country values, at least in theory, and who are all like aggressive and macho and they hunt and they fix things. So Dustin Hoffman has them fix his roof, get the house in order while he's doing his math stuff. And you can tell that his wife, played by Susan George Amy, is not particularly satisfied with this arrangement because he's kind of a shit, the Dustin Hoffman character. And he's also very clearly insecure about these men he feels very emasculated by, one of whom is implied to have previously been in love with Amy, and they were implied to have had sex in the past, because Amy is English. I feel like we're doing a bad job explaining the movie. <laughs> so his English wife had a kind of affair, some sort of relationship, it's not really specific, prior to David and Amy meeting and Amy leaving for America. And the film is like mostly just like a lot of really kind of unsettling drama-y shenanigans in the first bit. I should say I love the direction. First, just the way the house is shot, if that makes any sense, or just like the way every sequence is shot. You get a consistent sense of unease watching the movie because you get a sense that everyone is kind of weirdly being stared at. It's not really hinted on, like, no one says, like, oh, I'm going to be violent or whatever. But there's this continued sense of the way people are looking at each other, that they know something that we don't as the audience. And I think that's also helped by the fact that a lot of the acting in the film is very subtle and very nuanced. Like, you have the sequence where Amy discovers that her cat is dead and has been strangled, and they suspect it's one of the guys helping with the construction. So they kind of go down to confront them. But they also don't want to, David doesn't want to accuse anyone outright. So he's kind of being euphemistic and vague. And you see all just of these faces that his wife is shooting back at him that convey so much desperation and anger without her having to say, I'm not happy with you. You get a sense of the interpersonal dynamics just based on how the film is edited. And I think that's remarkable. Thinking back to when I watched it and like for the first time more than a year ago, because this was back when I was in film school and like the sweetest professor I had had a poster of this film in her office. The poster is great. It's worth pointing that out. Like it's a very, very evocative poster. It's, it's a wonderful poster. It's very evocative of the film you're about to watch. It was like the close-up of Dustin Hoffman with like the cracked sunglasses. She had like that like printed up in her office. And I basically had the impression of it. It's got a very obvious point. It's obviously 
toxic masculinity is the real villain. And it's really ironic that that's coming from, like, Peckinpah because he had the message of... Peckinpah had the reputation as, like, this macho guy. I remember that professor described him as a cowboy director, and I was like, oh, is it because he made westerns? And she was like, yeah, but also because he, like, was wild and didn't play by the rules. The film is also based on a novel called The Siege of Trencher's Farm, which was later then republished as Straw Dogs. Like a lot of books where if the movie gets popular and the movie has a different title, they go like... On the topic of the season, I have a copy of The Seed and the Sower. I have the book like on my shelf, so it's about a couple of feet away from me. And like the only text on the cover I can actually make out is Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Yeah, book publishers love to do this show. They love to like. The name of the very, very good Oshima movie that it was based off. There's so many repolishings of like Do Android Scream of Electric Sheep that are like. This is Blade Runner. Yeah, that are like Blade Runner, previously known as Do Android Scream of Electric Sheep or whatever the fuck. But I think Straw Dogs is an interesting film in a lot of ways because a lot of the macho ness is conveyed through, to be Laura Malevi about it, the gaze of characters. You really do get a sense of the leering quality of the men just the way they look at the women in the town and the thing is like all the men in this movie kind of suck hot take that david from straw dogs is kind of an awful person but everyone in the film just kind of views women as commodities like david her husband they don't really view her as so much a person as like a thing to either protect or to steal i mean there's a lot of talk about like sometimes a man is forced to defend his property but the movie sort of treats amy as his property and he's not mad at his wife getting raped because he thinks sexual violence is wrong i mean i don't think he like doesn't think it's wrong but i think that the issue is less if it was just some random woman who was like i got raped i don't think he would have had the same sort of response it was like even that is sort of viewed less as an act of violence against amy because it's violence against his property in his eyes the same as like if someone came into his house and like destroyed a bunch of stuff it's notable to me also that the way the sexual violence of Amy is raped happens through they convince him to go hunting. So you get the sort of cross-cutting between the rather horrific sexual violence and David just like sitting there pointing his gun at things and like idly twirling at these guys who are generally like kind of dicks to David. David really does kind of want in on their world, though. And they offer him a piece of, like, masculine solidarity in, oh, you can go hunting with us. You can play with our phallic objects, you know, and kill animals, which is cool and good to these guys. You can do all that with us. And David is, like, his sense of, like, protecting his wife or whatever, or, like, oh, do these guys have ulterior motives, entirely disappears. He's just like, oh, this is gonna be fun. I get to be one of the boys, finally, because he's been, like, this nerdy mathematician the whole film. It's kind of like a nerdy fantasy, kind of, like, deconstructed, even before we get to, like, when it falls apart. It's very clear that Amy is not happy. She's not fulfilled in the this relationship so you have the idea of like this nerdy math 
professor type, this sort of nebbish academic who like marries a hot girl. It's kind of like vaguely a hippie. She has posters that are like about like why you should have war and all that. And it's just like they are totally incompatible with each other and their relationship is totally unfulfilling and like borderline abusive on his part. The closest piece of fun they have together is she'll uh, change the plus signs and the minus signs on his math problems he's working on. He totally cares more about his work than he does her. He's ostensibly protecting her, but she's like, stop this shit. <laughs> the siege at the end of the film is notable because they want, I forget the name of the guy, who they have very good reason to believe, and we know for a fact for the film, ran off with like a teenage girl and killed her, actually. We know he killed her. But they just think he, like, ran off with her and they're trying to find her. But the thing is, David has no good reason to not just turn him over. And there's something really ironic in the film that David, when asked why he doesn't turn it over, he's like, oh, I don't believe in violence. I don't believe in extrajudicial violence, which is funny, given that he refuses to participate in extrajudicial violence by then participating in extrajudicial violence, which is why I don't buy the criticisms of the film from people who say that the problem with the movie is David is too justified in what he does. He's not. No, it's like he has his wife who, let's be honest, has been through way more shit than he has, unquestionably. Like, she is saying, hey, man just cool it. You don't need to go through all this elaborate home alone revenge shit. And he's like so busy sort of thinking of himself as the hero that he doesn't actually stop and think about if what he's doing is like right or not. And I think the biggest difference between this and the kids version of this is that in Home Alone, there isn't really a character analogous to Amy. He is truly home alone. He is defending his house by himself. And when you remove the sort of wife from the picture, it becomes, I mean, it's not about toxic masculinity because it's about like a 10 year old. I think, I think you could make a case that there is, but it's, it's, it's softened considerably. It's softened and it's not really chauvinistic. He doesn't really have like a woman who he's got a very pathetic relationship with. Until the sequel with the, the, the film, obviously. Okay, I did not watch Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. I didn't either. I, I'm just trying to remember it. I literally only watched Home Alone for the first time for this podcast. Really? You had never seen it? No, I'm because I'm culturally illiterate and a bad Canadian. Why is it a bad Canadian thing? Not is there a Canadian con? Oh, I guess John Candy's in it, uh, and Catherine O'Hara. John Candy, Catherine O'Hara, who like every time I turn on CBC, they're like Catherine O'Hara. <laughs> Maybe this was only like one time, but she gets like talked about a lot as like the sort of Canadian jam. She is quite funny in the movie, but I think the one thing that really makes Straw Dogs work is the fact that David is pathetic and bad and weird. There's nothing aspirational about him, except his sweaters. He wears a lot of really nice sweaters. I really like the scene where they talk to the vicar a lot for similar reasons, because that's the one where the priest is like, oh, you're a scientist, do you feel any responsibility for the atomic bomb? And then David turns on a pin, turns to him and says, oh, well, Christianity has the most blood on its hands out of anything, or whatever, on a fucking dime. 
dime to a priest, which is like how I imagine a math professor would talk, to be totally fair. If you were to remake Straw Dogs, and I know they did. They're in 2011, yeah. Okay, but like hypothetically, David would definitely be like a Redditor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd, yeah, he'd be like a Reddit. He's got a big Reddit energy. And that's one thing that seems to be kind of softened in the remake is they made him an English professor, I think, in the remake. I did not watch the remake either. I didn't watch it either. I just read the synopsis of it. It's the end of the year. We're all burnt out. We're kind of unofficially on holiday break. Yeah, this is like our fun little episode at the end of the year. Our fun little episode, which comes with a content warning for sexual assault. I'm very sympathetic to some of the feminist criticism of the film, though. I think in part because the worst sequence in the film to me is the sequence where they're at the annual like weekly church get together and the little like party you blow them and it expands whatever uh party blowers party party horns i don't know party horns yes thank you where that is used as like a substitute phallus that then causes her to have a flashback like that is so fucking corny that is ridiculous i'm sorry especially in a movie that i think is mostly really capable of being so That scene sticks out like a sore thumb because it's like, it's so cartoony. And I think that's the the aspect of the film that I think goes like the most unexplored is the interiority of Amy, the Susan George character. Well, it's like the film sort of ostensibly it's portraying the characters or the male characters, I should say, as like bad people. But it also affords the women in the film the same sort of shallow interior lives as the men project onto them, if that makes sense. Yeah, like the girl who gets killed just wants to have sex with every man she sees. Which makes it very interesting. I love it when a film accidentally reinforces its own point by being caught up in the biases that the creator is like. I don't think Sam Peckinpah was (laughs) anti-masculinity. I think he's at least aware of the shortcomings He's like the best kind of person because he's like self-aware, but also still keeps at it. That's a very Gemini thing of him. I think that's a reoccurring thread in his films is you can have your cake and eat it too. You can think violence is bad, but also want to see some really cool ass squibs. You can have your cottage cheese with an obscene amount of salt and eat it too, like David does in the film. That's one thing I like. Peckinpah is a really good director. I said this when I wrote up about the film is Peckinpah is a really good director at just like conveying spaces if that makes any fuckload of the sense he's doing all these deep focused cinematography things with the house he's playing with it he's moving the camera and editing in all these kind of ways and i think this is why new hollywood was so refreshing to people it doesn't feel like a soundstage at all relative to most of the films that were being made in like american studio systems for about 30 years this film steal the dw griffithism you can feel the wind in the trees watching it that's very new hollywood The sense of space is a very new Hollywoodism. I watched another film he did, Ride the High Country, right before, which is his first feature, Ride the High Country. And that's an interesting one because... He could have very easily shot, it's a Western, he could have easily shot most of it on a soundstage, but a bunch of the exterior shots are done on just these beautiful national parks. They shoot on location a bunch, and it really conveys, contrary to a lot of similar cheap Westerns that were made in the era, it really has like a sense of, this is a real place that people live in, because you're not seeing it from the one soundstage angle that we can use. This is a living, breathing place, and I think that's a quality of his films, and that does, if anything, help the sort of pay 
matriarchal, I must protect this house, because the house is imbued with so much character. Yeah, it wouldn't be the same if he was like, I must protect this soundstage. This isn't to trash talk American studio films of the 50s. I fully intend to force my entire extended family to watch All That Heaven Allows come Christmas, just like I did last year. My favorite part about the holidays is everyone is off of work or school, so, like, I have time to show them shit. Even if it's not, like, a Christmas movie, if it's just, like, adjacent, or, like, I just want to watch this movie because it's fun and cool. I just want to watch this Fassbender movie because I think you will really like it because your favorite genre of art is gay men being horrible to each other. And whose is that not? It's a great genre. And I need to watch more Peckinpah, I think. I think he's an interesting filmmaker from what I've seen. Yeah, because I've literally only seen Straw dogs and alfredo garcia i really want to watch pat garrett and billy and the kid that looks so up my alley the bob dylan soundtrack puts it over the edge is like this weird sort of dark twilight western okay so the bob dylan thing is when you said the title of that movie i was like oh that's like the bob dylan album and lo and behold it's the soundtrack yeah 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 exactly I think Straw Dogs works mostly because I think it maintains a sense of realism about it. Like, I don't think the rape scene maintains that realism particularly well. And the aforementioned party bit, I think, is silly. I can certainly understand why some people would look at that rape scene and be like, this is not a particularly high watermark for depictions of sexual violence on film. I don't want to say it's the most sexually like exploitative rape scene ever filmed, but at the same time, it's not one that I'm going to spend any time defending. If you're upset by it, the most I can say in its favor is, well, that's the point. Which even that, that makes you kind of sound like a horrible person. So I absolutely get people being like put off by straw dogs. I've seen some people imply that the film didn't. It's more like... There's, like, some things that, like, you do believe in, but you don't exactly want to stand your ground on just because it is, like, something uncomfortable. Like, I, you don't really want to be the guy who's like, no, this rape scene is important and necessary. Because, like, at a certain point when you're saying that over and over again, like, it's one thing to just discuss it with, like, someone who agrees. But when you're trying to convince someone of that, you just kind of feel like an asshole. If a defense can be made of the rape scene in the film, it's... It's presentation of the worldview of patriarchal masculinity and i do not think it fully nails this to be fully honest i am unconvinced by it and i am unconvinced by the betrayal of sexual violence in the film broadly but like i think there is a kernel of something that's like compelling there but i'm not going to tell you that you are wrong if you think i am a fucking idiot about this i do kind of think it does like reflect on patriarchal views towards sexual violence because it is a sexual violence scene directed by a man but what i'm saying is i don't know if that scene in of itself has anything particularly incisive about it i mean other than like it kind of presents it and like you as a decent person will probably think this is fucking horrific you can compare it to the sexual violence in a film like A Clockwork Orange. I haven't seen A Clockwork Orange. Oh my god. I think the sexual violence in that film is a lot more upsetting and is a lot more grotesque. And I think what people could make is the case for redeeming David versus the English brutes is that he is not a rapist. The bar is in hell. Yeah, 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 that's the feather in his cap. E even that, like, he's, like, abusive and controlling and... There's some reviews of the film 
film that are like saying the film is in favor of David and they're like condemning the film because the film wants you to think David is a good person and it's like fucking grow up like I'm sorry that is the most childish view of the film because it's very clearly an obvious he who fights monsters thesis. I could have figured that out when I was like 13, that that's what the film is trying to say. Even if it's not necessarily intentional, if that makes sense, that is how it comes across. That is what it comes across communicating. I don't buy the idea that you're supposed to like David. And I think the ending is deliberately ambiguous in this regard. Like he turns to Niles and Niles is like, I don't know how to get home from here. And David is like, I don't know either. He has destroyed his own home, basically. And he now does not know where he is supposed to be on a sort of metaphorical level. I mean, in a very literal sense, you know, if he has a home, he could go back to it. But he has, through all of this violence and patriarchal masculinity, has kind of alienated himself entirely from his wife. And therefore, that's why the ending works the way it does, where he's like, I don't have a home. As opposed, and it kind of has the opposite ending of Home Alone. Which is a film all about how you do have a home, actually. I think that Home Alone might be more conservative than Straw Dogs. Straw Dogs isn't funny. And I think Home Alone, the ironic value of Home Alone is a sort of preemptive defanging of the more reactionary elements of the film. I mean, the thing with Home Alone is even if it's reactionary, on like a very unironic level, it is a masterclass in comedic editing. My favorite sequence in the film, there's a lot I really like in it actually. The best joke in the movie is when Harry is in the basement and he tries to turn on the light, but it's the iron. Like he puts a fake thing to pull down and it just lands on his face. I laughed at that, having seen this film probably at least six times. It is a very well-executed comedy. I probably think my favorite part is when, this is kind of like a running gag, when Kevin is watching that movie on TV and he just like keeps rewinding it and like turning it up to make it sound like the TV. You know what I'm talking about. I feel insane trying to describe this. The way he continually recontextualizes that to like suit his ends. Yeah, that. And that's, and you could like go into a whole thing on that. You could go into a whole thing with the background of 80s consumerism of the film. Like he has all this like consumer technology and toys at his disposal that can be repurposed into being violent. What I think is the most obviously conservative thing about the film is I can only condemn this so much because I'm the exact same way is it kind of teases at a sort of challenging of the family unit but ultimately the family unit comes out on top no matter how dysfunctional the relationship is and let me be blunt I'm gonna just come out and say I'm totally like that as well no matter how much I like quibble with my family no matter how much arguably like manipulative shit we have done to each other we still love each other because we are family. It's like a weird place of you generally have a good relationship with your family, but you also have toxic traits, you know, just because you're human. And I'm like fully a toxic person in a lot of ways. So inevitably all relationships are a bit toxic in some way or other, which isn't to sound like an apologist because there's a certain threshold 
of an actual abusive relationship that I do not think I've ever had with my family and I do not think Kevin from Home Alone has with his family. Even in scenarios that are actual abuse, there is still a sort of sentimental underlying, well, we love each other anyways, or well, you love them anyways. Yeah, and I think that's why the movie resonates probably with a lot of people. I think that's one thing that the film does not have in common with Straw Dogs, just because there's very little sense of actual family commitment in Dustin Hoffman's case. He's all about defending his house, his material standing. He doesn't actually care about the people. And with Kevin, it's more like he is acting... He's never really rationalized. The film never really like stops to ask why he's doing the things he does, because it presents it literally as the only option. Yeah. And from the perspective of, like, a small child who's kind of play-acting at these things. There's literally no one telling him what not to do. So whatever his base instinct, that is the correct course to take. I don't know why I'm talking more. I totally sleptwalked through Straw Dogs and with Home Alone. It's like... Here's the trauma of Home Alone. Home Alone is about trauma. It is unironically probably about trauma. Movies used to be about trauma. The thing that I'll say, you said you hadn't seen the film before. I remember seeing it for the first time and... I have like a very specific story for when I watched it the first time was in I was probably like third or fourth grade maybe younger or older than that that's not specific I know I'm sorry there's like some class assignment where people had to like act out the plot of a Christmas film you know what you do in like a third grade drama class or whatever and I would have done Merry Christmas Mr. Lauren I think I did Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer for the record I don't remember what role I played in the story apologies I would be David Bowie and Merry Christmas Mr. Lawrence one group of children acted out the plot of this film that I had never heard of called Home Alone. And as you can imagine, what do you think a group of small children, what aspects of the film do you think they enacted? Do you think they enacted the bit with the old man, the touching Catherine O'Hara performance? Or do you think they just reenacted all of the scenes of sadistic violence in the film? That says a lot about like 10 year olds. And yeah, I think what's funny is watching the movie as like an adult now, I do think some of the violence in the movie is like actually funny, I should say. But like, I do get a bit of a sour taste in my mouth watching it because I have seen movies like Straw Dogs now and I'm like, I don't know if I like this attitude towards violence, which might sound very conservative, but I'm just like, I don't know if I'm on board like the sadism towards these two guys fully. I feel like what the film does is that it constructs an absurd scenario. Not like Straw Dogs doesn't have a bit of an absurd scenario. Straw Dogs, like, the characters go to Dustin Hoffman, they're like, why don't you just do what we want? Like, we don't want to hurt you at all. And he's like, uh, I don't know, lol, I gotta protect your house. Even the premise of Home Alone, it's like... Dominoes of convoluted setup. Okay, so I don't want to sound like CinemaSynth. A lot of my favorite movies are totally built on the back of a series of ridiculous coincidences, including one of my favorite Christmas movies, Tokyo Godfathers, which is basically about how magic Christmases because all these coincidences are allowed to happen. But anyways, you have this kid with this absurdly huge family all packed into one house back when you could afford to do that. And his family is big enough that they could just forget a kid like he's a toothbrush or an extra pair of underwear. It's like, oh, I think we forgot something. Hard cut to Kevin. And then while this is happening, there's also a group of 
robbers pretending to be cops who are going to houses on Christmas where people have left for the holidays, which maybe I just grew up doing things differently, but maybe I just grew up do doing things differently, but Christmas is the last time of year I associate with travel. The furthest I think I've ever gone for Christmas is like to a family friend's house. I mean, you gotta remember, the people of this movie, they're fucking loaded. That's true. My family, I don't think, could afford to go on a vacation to France for Christmas. Even, like, most solidly middle class, whatever the fuck middle class means in this context, the McAllisters are fucking rich. I'm fully middle class. I'm not gonna beat around the bush. I live in a house that my family owns. And we're not fucking like... My point simply is the McAllisters are above that. The furthest we're going to is like our aunt's house, which is a seven minute drive away. But anyways, I digress. The McAllisters are like loaded as hell though. They're in this rich neighborhood. In Chicago, like a Chicago suburb. As a matter of fact, you know, the white flighty Chicago suburbs. I forgot that detail somehow, which is interesting because Chicago is one of the few U.S. cities I know this much about, but Chicago is very deeply segregated between, like, the rich, affluent, white areas and, like, the more poor, racialized neighborhoods. And a lot of that was because of redlining and all that. Which is not unique to Chicago. It's and then there was white flight from the cities, and then they developed their own gated communities and suburbs. Again, I don't know why I'm going so in-depth into Home Alone. When we were talking about Straw Dogs, I was like, I feel bad because I have nothing to contribute here. You forgot the first half of the movie. This is exactly why my dad says I write like David Foster Wallace, because it's just tangent on tangent on tangent. Just fine. I like David Foster Wallace. Despite the convoluted setup, I think Home Alone works broadly for people. It's basically like, what ridiculous list of things can we do to justify the ruthless sadism of a 10 year old boy? That's part of it. But I think another part of the movie, and I think the reason it resonates with a lot of people, and the reason it's a family comedy is the old man stuff, and also the Catherine O'Hara bits. I think as a small child watching it, you're excited to just watch like these guys get clobbered, you know, head set on fire, the gruesome bit with the nail in the tar, like that's, and you can point out that a lot of the traps are like ridiculous, or like Kevin puts out the Christmas ornament seemingly knowing that Marv is gonna walk in barefoot but like whatever it doesn't matter asking those questions is like being like oh when you're watching a Looney Tune short and you're like oh you know gravity doesn't actually work like this right there's a certain collective fiction that we're buying into here and the film works because there is a broad cycle towards the bit with the old man at the end where Kevin thinks being the old man is like this evil murderer and then he discovers he's just lonely he wants to see his daughter and I think that if it just had the sadism and nothing else. I don't think adults would like the movie at all. I think it would be one of those kids' movies adults resent taking their kids to see. But the fact that there is this Catherine O'Hara thing and the honestly really funny little bit with John Candy. That's great. John Candy is great in the tiny performance he has in the film where he's like, oh, you know, you know, I'm the Poker King of the Midwest. What's the line where he says like, oh, that sold 600 records in Chicago? No, in Chicago or whatever. John Candy is like riffing in this movie. I think that's also really good. Catherine O'Hara is great. Guy who plays Uncle Frank is like a perfect dipshit. All of Kevin's older siblings and cousins are all like, we kind of beat around the bush with this, but I think like Macaulay Culkin is like the way kids actually are. Where he's like kind of a dipshit. He is stupid, but also a genius. 
Kevin is in a couple ways smarter beyond what you'd expect a second grader to be. But he's also very much a second grader. One of the first things he does is he like puts on TV to watch a violent movie just because he can finally do what he wants. And he like just sort of roams around the house looking at other people's rooms and he eats like a pizza or something. And it's like, this is like a child's idea of independence. That's, I think, one of the main reasons the movie works is because that is like the childish fantasy and kevin even yells out as he's doing it. he's like mom i'm doing this a buzz i'm going through your stuff you can't stop me that is like yeah that's how kids are they want to deep down get away with what they think adults just can do and then you watch it as an adult and it's like no one cares say something like ridiculously pretentious about this movie and this is a sentiment that i used to make fun of there's like a roger ebert review where he's like oh the premise you know is kind of ridiculous and kind of mean the movie and it's easy to make fun of that as i've gotten older i've been like yeah the premise is kind of mean the movie is a bit rah 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 and i think the stuff that does resonate with me watching it again is the stuff with the old man is the stuff with Catherine o'hara the old man got to me <laughs> yeah i had to quote george the old man does get to me that's the stuff that i think what really works about the film and to say the ridiculously pretentious thing this movie is like closer than one might imagine to like i don't know bergman that's ridiculous i recognize that i know exactly what you're talking about and i know the exact specific bergman film you're talking about and i think i made a joke about the scene where like they talk about you sometimes have shit with your family but they're all you've got that is literally just autumn sonata but for 10 year old boys well it's also like there's a certain Ozu-ishness to it, specifically like Good Morning by Ozu, if you've seen that one, where there's like a certain anarchic childishness to it. Yeah, Kevin would absolutely eat rocks so his parents buy him a TV if given the chance. That's a very gross oversimplification of Good Morning. The way I'm talking about it kind of implies it's like this serious film. It's not. It's a fun comedy. It's like the kind of film I absolutely would show my mom. I think I've told her to watch it several times because moms love movies about cute little boys in matching clothes. The qualities of Tom Alone that keep it resonant are the qualities that are closer to Ozu than they are to even like the slapstick. I recognize this is like a ludicrous thing to say and makes me sound like a fucking idiot. I have nothing to say about the slapstick at all because what stands out in my mind is the film's attitude towards family. I mean I guess I'm like an adult and I'm on too many antidepressants to have any fun anymore so that doesn't really stand out to me but the ideas about family is just fascinating and another thing about Home Alone is you genuinely could not make Home Alone today it just would not work in today's climate and I don't even mean because like oh you know cell phones and COVID the internet exists I'm not even thinking about that I'm just thinking like this is not how families are anymore at least not in the Chicago suburbs. Rich people do not have this many children, typically. That's certainly one aspect of it. But I think a lot of it is just, it's a kind of, the film is very, like, in that very late 80s, early 90s sort of mold. And also, you don't generally see a lot of Hollywood movies these days with this much outward slapstick in them. And that's been kind of out of style for, like, 20-ish years at this point. Yeah. <laughs> We're also probably all a bit more jaded now. So I think, like, a movie that had a series of 
convoluted setups to let a kid beat the shit out of these robbers would seem more ludicrous now. There would definitely be a piece in the Atlantic that would be like the sadism of Home Alone. And it's just like wokeness. It's like what's happening on our college campuses. Kevin is a social justice warrior. No, I'm more thinking about from the sort of social justice-y types. I can only mock them so much because I am at heart one of them. It would be like a discourse bait movie. It would be like Tar or The Whale or Blonde. It would be one of those movies if it came out today. And I feel like a lot of old movies are very controversial, but like since they're old and they're sort of established in both the canon and or the popular culture, no one really talks about them like that. And I think Home Alone, there's a lot of it's presentation of the family in a lot of ways is like deeply pernicious, but it's also clearly resonant. It's like, it's okay that this family has so many kids that they will inevitably forget one while going to a vacation. Leaving their fucking basically gated part of Chicago in their like ludicrously wealthy area so their son can play vigilante. The other like boring thing to point out is that, oh, he could have just called the cops at the beginning. Part of it is he wasn't really socialized to think of himself as being in danger if he's in this sort of gated community, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I say this as someone who grew up in a very white neighborhood. Yeah, I grew up in a very white neighborhood too. I grew up in Westboro in Ottawa, Ontario. If you know anything about that part of Ottawa. I think, yeah, the movie would not work as well nowadays. And I think we can tell because there's been a bunch of sequels and none of them have done well. It's like, how many fucking sequels to Home Alone have there been? I know about Home Alone 2 just because of the bit where everyone talks about Donald Trump as the star of Home Alone 2. after that, I think they were all directed video. There was a Home Alone movie that came out last year. What's notable about Home Alone is it's one of the only 90s family comedies that isn't about divorce. And then someone pointed out to me that basically almost all of the various Home Alone sequels are about divorce in some way or another. I think that's another thing that I think kids and adults can sort of gravitate to with Home Alone is that the family other than Kevin is like remarkably stable. The dad is just kind of there and kind of dopey. Broadly speaking, if you're watching it as an adult it's like yeah this family is basically fine other than this one really fucked up thing that happened to kevin and the ending is very sweet i can't help but kind of get a little emotional when you see like kevin look out in the window and you see the old man hugging his daughter and it's snowing like that's adorable what a sweet sentiment if you're gonna make psychotic pro-family propaganda i would rather the message be you should reconcile with your children than your children are dipshits if that makes sense the message of that is yeah kids are all right you should treat them with respect and not like abandon them but then there is also all the weird right-wing masculinity stuff you could talk about like kevin being like oh i'm the man of the house i have tacked it da, 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 da. shooting people in the balls that's just straw dogs i think it's more pernicious here than it is in straw dogs though because straw dogs is aware of it as this grotesquely violent fantasy and also straw dogs is a movie for adults it wasn't aimed at kids in the same way home alone is aimed at kids you're not gonna watch straw dogs with your family unless your family is very cool even with a very cool family i wouldn't show my kids straw dogs until they're like 19 yeah that'd be something you watch with like your adult children I mean, if you want to talk about movies to watch with your adult children, I will watch basically anything with my parents. It does kind of depend on your own parent sensibility. It depends on your parents' sensibility. It depends on your age and relationship with them. 
it's normal for a third grader to have seen a home alone. What if one of the kids in your class acted out a scene from Straw Dogs? The two films are interesting because one of them is a comedy and one of them is a tragedy, basically. One of them is the guy does vigilante violence and gets everything he wants in the case of Home Alone. But in Straw Dogs, it like destroys his small, in this case, family's ability to like function. Thing is, Kevin has a family to fall back on that David doesn't. Yeah, and David is also an adult with probably far deeper issues than Kevin, who is just like a kid who's kind of acting up because he doesn't feel loved, which is like pretty normal. That's bad. Obviously, you should love your children. Hot take. Well, no, but if you have like five of them, like the McAllisters do. But David is a guy who's clearly very resentful about his position in life, even though he's probably relatively well off. I mean, he's he's like a tenured professor of math. He's doing fine. And yet he feels really inferior to the everyone in the village because they're all real men or whatever and he really swallows this ideology that he needs to become this real masculine protector of his family he needs to engulf his wife's previous lover slash rapist in a bear trap the moment the bear trap got in play i was like this is going places and i love the bit where he makes them set up the bear trap and they almost cut themselves with it that's another scene that's just oozing with passive aggression it's some good stuff right there and nothing like that is equivalent in homo Home Alone is much more straightforward morally, which I actually think makes it a bit more insidious. Straw Dogs can be read in a bunch of different directions. Go, oh, this is a critique of patriarchal masculinity. Home Alone is like, oh yeah, this movie about having a family is pretty alright. But you could also read Straw Dogs as like a right-wing film, which I think requires, in some cases, some mental gymnastics. You have to be dumb to read Straw Dogs as right-wing. You have to be smart to read Home Alone as right-wing. That's, I say, the biggest difference between the two films on an ideological level. Straw Dogs is a movie that's aware of the fact that it is a grotesquely reactionary fantasy that it's feeding into, and it's kind of self-critical. Whereas Home Alone is not aware of the fact that it's a grotesquely reactionary fantasy. It's a film that is on board with being a grotesquely reactionary fantasy, and that's cool and good. And that being said, it's still pretty funny. I like the joke where every time a car drives up, they knock over the statue. Movies don't have visual gags like that anymore, and we need to get that back. That's the thing that, like, I always think about watching movies. There's a lot of, like, verbal comedy in the film, but a lot of it is also just visual gags that don't really have a place in contemporary film comedy. Probably since early 2000s, because then comedy films in the 2000s became incredible increasingly like improvisational increasingly like verbal jokes in a way that i think was less amenable towards this sort of three stooges three stooges e gags and even in home alone they feel very convoluted they feel really out of place whereas like you know watching a three stooges sort and being like oh why are they hating each other is kind of like beyond the point just reflecting because it's been almost exactly a year since the pod's inception i feel like this episode is just like an open wound in a certain sense because we are just kind of rambling. I think we're getting at some places that are sort of productive with that rambling. I'm hoping that 2023 will be the year that the pod does find its footing on a more permanent basis. I think there's a lot in the show that I think is quite good, but I think the issue has sort of been more than anything, it's been scheduling. I am really like actually very proud of what we've created and I'm looking really forward and we got a lot of great stuff lined up for what we're going to talk about in like the coming year with our episodes. 
We've got like big plans. We will actually do research, hopefully more. If you give us money on Patreon, that enables us to justify doing research for episodes. Yeah, research, get a mic, buy a nice big notebook from the dollar store to write stuff down in, time editing. I am thankful for the traction the podcast has gained and the discussions it spawned and I'm really looking forward to the future. 